to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So uh, let me give you a background. If you're new to this whole thing, we're in a series called Becoming Fully Alive. And the idea of this sermon came from actually multiple conversations that I had with some of you um, and some friends that actually don't go to church and some friends that are just atheists. And what I noticed in similar conversations that everyone was talking about the same thing. And what they didn't realize is that the thing they were talking about underneath the thing they were talking about was this idea. And the idea uh, kind of immersed that uh, uh, our view of God shapes the world we live in. And so I was playing around with that theme. And eventually I looked at the text and realized that Jesus, when asked what's the greatest greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so love God, love others, and love yourself. And that is, if you boil down all the laws and commandments, the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and during Jesus' day, there was another 1,500 plus added by the Pharisees, so 2,100 plus laws. If you narrow it down to fulfill it, Jesus says, love God, love others as yourself. And so as I was looking and, and to, to just make a point before I jump into my, my text today or the text today, not my text, um, is, is if you think about this. So I have some atheist friends that believe that we were products of randomness and chance. And so that shapes the reality that my friend lives in. He lives for himself. He lives for his pleasure. He lives for the most money he can make, the most fun he can have, the nicest stuff he can buy, um, because it's all going to end here. We're, we're living for now. All we have is now. And so that shapes his reality. That view of God or lack of God shapes that reality. Now, there's a lot of us Christians that have a view of God that is not the Christian God or the God of the scriptures. Some of us have a view of God that he's uh, our God is angry with us. And that we are are needing to live our lives in a way that appeases him. So we just offer more and more of our time, our energy, our resources. We enter into this Christianity as a, a way of legalism and ritual. And we just we constantly think that we have to do the Bible study. We have to do the devotion. We have to show up on church. We have to set up at church. And it's all coming not from a place of, of love and devotion and, and, it's, uh, and, and excitement and acceptance. It's coming from a place of brokenness. It's coming from a place of obligation and religiousness. Some of us carry that. Some of us have the God who is a disapproving father. We've talked about this and our need is to accept or get his approval. And there are all sorts of the sorts of gods we worship and we we mask them as the Christian God. He's the cosmic traffic cop. I was at a party, my friend's 30th birthday, and I was talking to a friend who's been a Christian his whole life, went to a Christian university. And he says the God he worships is only concerned about him doing the right thing so that one day he can go to heaven which is someplace else up there. And this stuff, the only thing that matters about this place is that we live a certain way so that one day we're zapped out of here and we have to do everything right in order to get there. And this is a common theology that we carry. And and what I've been challenging, what we've been challenging as a teaching team is saying, well, that's not the God of Scripture. And so we we, we talked through what, what, what type of God do we have? He's love. He's for us. He's with us. Um, and then we talk through what in view of God loving us, how do we love ourselves in response to that, recognizing that the world is challenging us to to earn our value, to find our worth in what we do, not who we are. And so we talk through those themes and then we briefly started um, 
teaching about loving others. And so I want to talk today about loving others. How do we how do we do this? And really the premise for today's talk is that I want to I want to talk about authentic community um, in an age and culture of individualism. You with me? So go, grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles up here. Um, maybe someone would be my pregnant wife is going to get up and get you one. Um, so raise your hand and she will pass them out. Check her out. Yes. Ow! Pass this out, love. Come on. Raise your hand. Do you want one? Come on. You don't want her to give you a Bible? I'll take one. Just get over here. Come on. All right. All right. <clears throat> now I'm all distracted. Um, shoot. Love that we're married. Starting in the fall, we're going to do a series called Sex, Love, and God. Seriously, I mean, we can talk about that here, right? I have a story that I'm not going to share until that series. It just came into my mind. Um, So, Philippians chapter 2. Paul is an apostle. If you don't know, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul's an apostle, um, which means sent one. And he, at one point in his life, was persecuting the church. He was he was murdering Christians or capturing them and putting them in arrest, beating them up. Eventually, he's on a road to Damascus where he sees a vision of Jesus, and uh, he becomes a Christian and he becomes devoted to following Christ. And he's on a mission to plant churches all over the Roman Empire. This gets him into trouble. Eventually, he's arrested and he's sent to Rome. Paul, when he's planting these churches during the season of time, just goes to major cities and, and teaches in, in the synagogues, in the, in the, out in public. He goes house to house proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and builds these little house churches and larger churches all throughout the Roman Empire. And Philippi is one of his favorites. Um, this church was dear to his heart. And what's fascinating about it is he writes this letter in around 62 A.D., and he's all the way in Rome. And for those of you that know where ancient Philippi was, it was uh, on the eastern plain of Macedonia. So we're all on the same page. And um, or you could say modern day Greece. And this was what's important to know about Philippi is that it was a trade. There was a trade route where it connected Rome to Byzantium and that there was a military outpost there. And so it was known for violence. And Paul carries this church in his heart. And so he's he's arrested in and under house arrest in Rome. He's facing judgment, possible death, and eventually he is killed. Um, and he and he just writes this letter to this church far away um, with passion and love. And, and, he, and he's wanting to remind this church what life is all about in Jesus. And so the letter itself is this beautiful letter where he emphasizes that the key to all of life centers around Jesus Christ. And that if you pursue Jesus with your lives and you pursue the things that he pursues, that life will involve suffering for sure. And if you become obedient to him, you might become obedient to death. But you got to pursue things that he he was passionate about, including um, serving one another in humility, loving each other, um, sacrificing your lives for each other. And and he's writing this beautiful letter to this church that they know what it means to be the church in this particular context because they were facing struggles. And one of the things that they had, they were facing persecution from the outside side, but they were also facing internal struggles and conflict. In other words, there were, there were internal battles going on. People were not liking each other, not serving. We don't know what the details are, but we know that there had to have been some type of conflict between the leaders in the church. Can we relate to that? Yes. So I'm jumping in. I know that's a long intro, um, but I also want to say this in case you're new to the gardens for us, 
the Old and New Testament, the scriptures, uh, we put the final authority on those things. So every Sunday we're going to teach you the word of God because it's not just um, not just some, something that was written back then that has some type of meaning. It has authority and power to change lives um, that we want all of our lives to be wrapped around God's word to us. And we want our church to wrap, be, wrap around the word. Are you with me? Let me pray for us and then we'll read this text together. Jesus, we know you're already here in our midst. I thank you, God, for the gift of friendship and community and relationship here that you give us and you empower it through the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the word that you've given us this morning. Thank you that you've given us the written word to know you more and to to grow and learn and follow you, Jesus, that we know what you you said and we know what your message is because um, throughout history, the church has recognized that there is authority in this book, in these letters. So we thank you, God, and we receive this this morning. May we be a good soil that receives this and, and not just listens, but does the word. Bless us this morning in your name. Amen. Verse, uh, verse one of chapter two. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So uh, before we continue and I break down this text to help us understand authentic community, I need to talk about this. So. In the first century context, in Philippi, um, you would have all sorts of people. Okay, I'm looking around. We have a bunch of people here. Um, Good work. And they would have come from all different areas. Some of you would have walked miles and miles away um, to get to the house or wherever it was gathering. Some of you would literally have lived around the corner from this gathering. There would have been Romans and Greeks. There would have been uh, Jews and Gentiles. There would have been um, different languages spoken and sung. There would have been... All sorts of things going on, diverse community. Some of you would have been wealthy. Some of you would have had multiple cars or oxen. Some of you would have had, um, would have been dirt poor and probably not enough food to eat. And literally it was just so diverse. And in this community, you have to recognize that the scriptures were not to be um, an individual event. But this was a corporate experience. And so you would come to hear um, you would come to here. I'm going to, can I come through here? I mean, just, uh, so, so imagine like you're coming to this thing and you're just, you're, you're coming to this community event. And what's your name? Jeremy. Jeremy, you, are you new here? Is this your first time? So this is, will you stand up? Jeremy, hey, everybody welcome Jeremy. So, and is, uh, who's this? Janelle. Janelle, are you guys related, married? Mar- dating. Okay. Dating. Are you thinking about getting married? No pressure. Sorry. No pressure. Okay. So this is the thing. What was Jeremy? Jeremy's your name. Okay. So you would have had this experience where I wonder who's going to speak today. I wonder what, what's going to be read. I mean, what? And so let's say you have no context for Christianity or for, for Jewish thought. So let's say Paul says something like, hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How many of you have heard that word? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, how many of you thought when he says work out your salvation, he's referring to your personal salvation? Raise your hand, honestly. The word in Greek is plural. It's work out our salvation 
with fear and trembling. It was never an individual experience. And so let's say Jeremy here doesn't know anything and the letters being read. He might come and he's like, what does that mean? And I would say, well, well, what it means is this. And, and they might even pause from upstage or wherever they're reading and explain because Paul writes, he's a theologian. He's got all this history and context. And so this was supposed to be a community experience. Not just people watching people on stage. Jeremy, thank you so much. Hopefully you come back. Great work. And so we have, but, but for us, if, if there's anything that we need to push through in order to understand this text, is that we, in our culture, in our society, worship at the altar of individualism. It's all about you and me. It's all about my dreams, my job, my friends, my community, my 401k, my retirement, my vacation time, my weekends off, my relationship with my spouse. Everything is designed in our culture to focus on our individuality. And we come into church and we just bring that in. And in fact, we build churches around it. Churches, and, and we are victim, we are victim, we are participants in this too. We want to build churches around your preferences, your convenience, your coffee flavors, what the best children's safety zone as possible, even though that's great. But like, I mean, we just, we build it around, uh, we build it around everything that makes it convenient. We, we add, you know, you can worship with your worship style. What? You have a personal worship style? Like, I prefer, I prefer, like, Wilco style of worship versus rock, you know, or give me some Bonnie Vera, Jesus, lover of our soul, or some of you are singing songs and you're like, and literally what God's hearing is, I surrender some, I surrender some to Jesus, I surrender, I, or I worship myself. I mean, literally, we, we, are, we, are, we, we listen to the speaker and we want the older guy, not the young guy, or we want, we want Pete to, to lead the whole time, and, or whatever it is. Um, and, and like, what's up with the Spanish song? No, we can't do that. I want my worship in English. Ha, 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 ha. If you're new, you can tell I haven't been up here for a while. So where was I going? So we worship at an, at an altar of consumer or consumerism, individualism. And, and when you read the scriptures, we have to read it in a, in, a, in a lens of community. We don't have context for that. In fact, growing up in the church, I was told that new Christians are supposed to grab a Bible and start reading the book of John and it will make sense. How many of you did that to non-Christians? Okay, can we go to John 1 real quick? Let me just, let's just go. I'm just going to read three verses. So they open up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Okay. All right. Okay, time out. So some guy who has no community around him says, hey, this will all make sense. So apparently there's a dude named Word. And Word was with God and he is God. And he was, he's really old because he's been there from the beginning. And Word made everything with God. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Unless you rely on the community of God to disciple. Unless you rely on a community of people with him to explain 
and teach and instruct and mature and grow and walk with and come alongside those people. The Christian experience is not to be lived alone. There's no such thing as you, yourself, and Jesus. You with me? Let's jump in. So, summary, chapter 2. I just want to break through this text. I might do the second half of chapter 2 next week. We'll see how it goes. Chapter 2. So, Paul writes this beautiful letter and... It's a great letter to read through. He talks about, um, like, he prays for them. He, he follows this traditional path of thanksgiving and prayer. In chapter 1, he talks about the gospel uh, moving forward and being proclaimed without fear, despite the fact that he's been arrested and he's in chains and he's suffering and he knows that the Philippian church is suffering and he invites them to recognize that God's doing something. And he says in verse 27 of chapter 1, whatever happens to him or you, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he just sets up this beautiful framework where he's saying, guys, live your life in a way that reveals the resurrected Jesus Christ. Live your lives in a way that's worthy of this beautiful gospel story that God rescued you from your sins, defeated the enemy, and is in the process of restoring all things back to its original intention. Like that he did it on your behalf in human history. In view of that great reality, live a certain way. And he writes to a church. Now, I want us to pretend we're all part of this church. Some of you are checking us out. Some of you are here for the first time. Some of you are part of other bodies. I'm just going to pretend we are the body of, at the garden, okay? And this, this letter is to us. And Paul says, look, in view of all that's, all that's going on, in view of, this, of the gospel message, in view of the sufferings, he says, therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement... From being united with Christ. If you have any encouragement, the word encouragement in Greek is paraklesis. The word para is to set alongside or to set aside. And klesis is where we get the word kleo, or kleo is where we get the word klesis. And that means to aid or help. And the picture of encouragement from Christ is imagine you're walking on the road up this hill exhausted. And you're just, you're literally, you're, you don't know if you're going to make it. And you're just, it's just heavy on life and you've got to make it to the next destination, destination. And the word encouragement in Greek is you're walking and someone comes alongside of you and whispers, you're going to make it. We're, we're going to get through this. We're going to get up this hill. We can do it. If you have any encouragement from Christ, any comfort from his love, the word comfort let me get this right. It's paramethion. And the word myth is where we get the word story. And it means to um, it means to encourage. I'm sorry. It means to speak kindly to someone, to remind someone. It's to tell a story that soothes someone. If you've had a, if you've been told the story that soothes your soul and his love, have you ever been reminded of God's love? I mean, I can tell story after story of people coming up here and literally all, I'm, I'm like praying, come, Jesus, come. And I, I, hey, God loves you as you are and as you should be. And for whatever reason, the spirit of God touches their heart with that word. And it's like, oh, he dies in love, more Jesus. <laughs> and it's like waterworks. Have you experienced that? How many of you have experienced an ex- like that a, a comfort from God's love? We were at Vanguard University doing our Empowered Conference where we teach on the Holy Spirit and why we're so passionate about partnering with God and becoming dependent on His Holy Spirit. And kid after kid after kid, 20-something, 18-year-olds, it was like the word over and over again is that they're loved by God. It's like for some reason in the church we've missed that. If you've ever experienced that comfort, 
So encouragement, comfort, any common sharing in the spirit. And the word common is koinonia. It's where we get the word fellowship. Have you ever had this, this sense of, of commonality, the sense of camaraderie with people in the community? Have you ever um, been on a mission trip and experienced that thing that only happens when you're overseas and you're, you're doing, or on a football team and you guys have, you know, defeated the number one team and there's, you, you go back to your high school reunion and you have that experience. Now multiply that times infinity, add the Holy Spirit. That's fellowship. Have you ever experienced any of that, uh, just a hint of it? Any, any uh, tenderness, it says, the next word. And the word tenderness is where we get the word intestine or bowels. And, and Paul is saying, have you ever felt something at the seat of your being? Have you ever cared for somebody at the seat of your being? It's not just you care, but like you really care for someone. Have you ever, uh, or if you had compassion, and it's where we get the word pity or compassion, have you experienced any of these things in your life at this church? That's what he's saying. Have you ever experienced those things at all? It's an assumption, and it's, it's really a rhetorical question. He knows they've experienced these things. So in view of experiencing these things, make my joy complete. And this is where he challenges the church. He says, be like-minded. By being like-minded, it's, it's not to think the same things or to have the same intellectual understanding, but it's to know with your being, it's to your will and your affection, it's to be on the same page as one community. Um, and, and I want to say this, just a, a side note, um, Paul is not afraid of difference in opinions on subjects that involve the Bible. He's certain and he will die for certain convictions, as will most of us. But the things there are things that he doesn't really, um, really care if you agree with him about. There are things that don't matter as much as certain things to him. And he's okay with you being different because the goal is unity, not uniformity. So in, in chapter three, just a side note, he says, hey, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if if on a point you think differently then that to God will make clear to you. And in Romans, he'll go down about not judging each other. Some of you view food this way. Some of you view uh, days of the week this way. Don't judge each other. And and just it's this idea that there are certain things that we have to be certain about. But that's a small number of things and everything else. It's okay in the body to have different opinions, different opinions. I don't need to go into that. But so he's saying be on the same page with each other. And then he says, um, verse, uh, we're, we're saying, be like-minded. And then he says, have the same love. And, and the word is agape. You, as the church, we are to have the same agape, to love one another, being uh, one in spirit and one in mind. And where we get the word mind, we get the word psyche. So literally, Paul is saying, get on the same page, have this, be, be one mind, one soul, one spirit as the church. I mean, Jesus uh, says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying here that as a church, we are to be one mind, soul, spirit as a church. This is the call of the church. Now, why is this so important? Now, imagine in the Roman Empire, a small group of house churches collecting together in different places, being persecuted by the, the, the Caesars. 
And remember, in the Roman Empire, they worshipped Caesar as Lord. And this small Jewish sect called Christianity is worshipping Jesus as Lord. And if the church isn't one, then the message of the Messiah is threatened. If we're gossiping at each other, the message of Jesus being raised from the dead is threatened. Because Jesus said in John 13, the way the world will know that you are my disciples is not by singing songs or putting bumper stickers on your car or wearing not of this world T-shirts, but the way you love one another. This is how the world will know you're my disciple, by how we treat each other here. I mean, and what's powerful about this text is if you go to... um, Acts. I just want to show you what 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 happens in Acts. I love we're going to do a series in Acts next May, this coming May, um, because it's a, a beautiful picture. It's a theological narrative of what happened after Jesus ascends. And in Acts two and four, let's go there real quick. Acts chapter two. I want to give you just a snapshot uh, of the church. So this is, you know, Luke's capturing um, he's the author of, of Acts, and he's capturing what happens when the church just starts. You see, there, were, there wasn't a blueprint or a manual or five steps to plant churches or have authentic community or, or you know, take down an empire or whatever it is. Um, it was literally like, hey, Jesus said go, and now we are. Now we have this thing called the Holy Spirit, and we're seeing people healed, and we're speaking different languages. It's just craziness. And, and Luke says this. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in koinonia, common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Some type of hippie commune, apparently. Every day they laugh, just wait till I come back. (laughs) Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily of those being saved. Go to Acts 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart and mind. What is Paul saying to Philippi? Be one heart, be one mind, one spirit, one soul. No one claimed to have any of uh, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify the resurrection of Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So we have in Acts, we have this picture of commonality. They're, they're sharing their stuff. Um, they're one heart, one mind. There's this beautiful, they have favor. But I want to point something out. It says God's grace was, was among them that nobody had need. So, The church is to become the type of community that God moves so powerfully among us that it's it's experienced tangibly with stuff like food and water and clothes and shelter. Now, this passage does not mean that everyone sold all of their homes and lived in a commune. It doesn't mean that. It means that. Well, let me let me try to demonstrate. Howard, would you come up here real quick so you can just stand? Everyone welcome, Howard. (coughs) Why don't you stand right here? 
This is my friend Howard, and uh, he has um, he doesn't have a job. He uh, this is this is all make believe right now. So he has a job. He's a masseuse, amazing masseuse. Hire him. Um, you're welcome. Hey, uh, so. Uh, he doesn't have a job. Um, he's become a new, a new convert in this church that we started. And, and um, he's, he's working in the fields to get, get food for his daily needs. He has a family he has to feed. And it's been really hard. And my name's Darren, and I have multiple jobs. Um, and I'm actually very successful. And I, too, worship Jesus as Lord. Now, here's what happened in the early church. Let's pretend that Darren, me, I have um, boxes of food like Honey Nut O's and Raisin Bran. And, and my family's well off to where it, I don't just have two. And let's just say, hey, for my, my family and I to survive, we, we have, all we need is one box. Now, in, in our culture of narcissism and individuality, you know, our job is to protect. I have this, now I have this house and I have this, uh, this, this donkey and I have this, this oxen and, and I have this, these sheep and I have these family members and I've got a to help my, I got you know, I've got more and more servants. And so my job today is to protect all this stuff. In fact, if I make more, it's saying I got to save more and I got to make sure that my kids have a, a college fund. And then, you know, and then my car, my nice Bentley is going to roll out, you know, it's not going to be in style in about four years. And so I got another car and now I've got multiple homes and, you know, I've got all this stuff. I can't even, my pants are too tight to like wrap around and And, you know, and like Howard is working for one of these. And you know what happened? You know what God's grace looks like? Hey, Howard, dude, you know, I know you're 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 having a hard time. Dude, it, 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 it is not okay in the church for you to not have enough to eat when I have plenty. If you suffer, we have to suffer. Thank you. You can sit down. So now that's raisin bran time. I went to Franklin middle school right up here on six and Cerritos. Um, and they, uh, 98% of their students are on the free meal program. Um, and, and I asked the principal, you know, we're doing backpacks for them and we only, I think are doing like 60 backpacks or something. Uh, my friend's church that has 200 people are doing a thousand for a different one. Anyways, that's a different story. Um, I won't compare you to our brothers and sisters across the way. Um, if you don't know, I'm very competitive. So that really hurt. Anyways, point is this, I said, do you need lots of backpacks? You know, no, we get, we get backpacks. That's great. It's going to be a blessing. We, you know, it's that, that's awesome. You know, we need, you know, we need some, uh, uh, you know, uh, they have, um, suit. What are they called? Uniforms. Yes. So we have uniforms. I said, but what do you really need? Number one thing we need older men and women to walk with these kids because they don't have parents. So, uh, that's, that's serving. Now, what about the church? Apparently, the church is called to be the type of community that there, there isn't a need among us. In Thessalonians, Paul will say, hey, guys, some of you will have needs and you need to take care of those needs. The church needs to. But the goal is that you can produce with your own hands so that you don't you don't rely on anyone, according to First Thessalonians. And so the church is supposed to be this revolutionary place where we're one heart, one soul, one mind, where there's no needs among us. And we do it tangibly. And some of you are like, this is crazy. Yes, it is. It requires God to do it in us. But I've seen it. 
I've seen it all over our community, guys. I've seen it time and time again. People uh, can't afford to go uh, visit relatives that lost a loved one and they pay for them to fly. People are losing their home. And so their community group in our church does a garage sale to support their monthly payments uh, and their house payments. Um, people don't have jobs and someone owns a business and they give someone a job. People in our, house, our, our church don't have um, homes. And so we work with the village and get them moved into a home and our community groups provide for their um, all of their furnishings so that we furnish their apartment and help them pay rent in the deposit. I mean, we're doing this. Some of us. Some of us are like, well, I need to get the email. I need to, you know, it's not announced clearly on Sunday and I don't know who the needs are. That's not our fault. Do you know people like Howard that are sitting next to you? Look around. I'm, look around. Paul would say, guys, you got to be one. Yeah, some of you are older and some of you are younger. Yeah, some of you make money and some of you don't. Yeah, some of you speak Spanish and some of you don't. Yeah, some of you prefer like a very, you know, normal, rigid schedule in the service so you know what you're expected and you can bring your coffee in here and walk out at 10.15 or whatever it is. And, and some of you are like, oh, keep going, Pete. Don't stop. Don't, you know, and it doesn't matter. We're called to be one. It's not about you or you. It's about us. And so Paul is, I'm just beating the point and. He's just saying, guys, this is what the church is going to look like. But how on earth are we supposed to do this? How on earth are we going to have that type of community, that sense of awe working out that we that people on the outside would say, man, I want to know that God because of how they love each other. That's what the church looked like. How do we do that? We'll go to, back to Philippians chapter two. Here's Paul's um, part of Paul's answer. And uh He'll continue to teach us how to do this. And next week we can look at it. But here are some here's some advice that I want to settle in on. It says this. Verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So four verses here. If you've experienced anything from God. Anything good, encouragement, commonality, if you've experienced God's love, uh, uh, be one heart, mind, and soul. And the way you're going to do this is by this. Do nothing. And the Greek word for nothing is medes. And it means, translated literally, nothing. (laughs) Out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. The word for selfish ambition is self-seeking or, or seeking your own common thing. Um, one, and it's also related to one who just works for pay. And so he's saying, um, and then he says, do nothing out of uh, working for yourself or self-focus or selfish ambition or vain conceit, which is empty glory. Stop seeking things for yourself, for your own glory. But instead, in humility, the word humility is modesty or chosen loneliness and uh, it's, it's a unique word that is, is seen as a virtue throughout the scriptures. And it is the opposite of self-seeking. It is the op- opposite of self, uh, uh, self-focus. Humility, uh, the way I would like to define it, is an accurate view of self. Because pride is either an elevated view or a, a de-escalated view. Um, and humility would be just knowing exactly what God says about you. And if you if you have that perspective, then your view will naturally be what God's view is. 
And here's the picture of humility I want to share with you. If you're if you're wondering, um, you know, if I follow Jesus, will will I become successful? If you're wondering if I follow Jesus, will I make lots of money? Or if you're wondering that if, if I follow Jesus, he's really happy with me, you know, securing my family and building a bigger home and getting the house on the hill and all these things. You want to know what he will challenge you every time on and give you a whole new per- perspective. It's this perspective in John chapter 13. It says this. Um, in John chapter 13, did I give you that verse? Alyssa, John 13. Okay, so here's the picture. Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And this is what it says. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Accurate view of self. All things at Jesus' disposal. Legions of angels. He could, he could say something and the mountains would fall into the sea. And so what does he do with that power? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, dying, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus takes all the power of the world and God gave to him, gets on his knees, and sees the world from this perspective. You want to know what humility is? Humility is looking at people from washing their feet. We're not doormats, we're foot washers. How can we have this community? We don't look, uh, I'm sorry, we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And our posture is washing each other's feet. Our posture, our, our way of seeing ourselves is in humility. And then it says, it continues, and this is a, a better way to see what Paul's saying. It says, um, not looking, I'm sorry, value others above yourselves. Go after, look after, uh, see, lead people, value as above yourselves, as set apart above you. And this isn't about you becoming nothing. This is about you choosing to serve, taking all the power you have to use for others. This is what it means to love one another. Um, and then he says, each of you should not look to your own interests, but to the interest of others. It doesn't mean don't look at your interests, don't be concerned about your family. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean sell everything you have and become poor. But what it means is that in the kingdom of God, in the community of God, we are to live in such a way that you and you and us are submitting ourselves and laying down our lives so that the things that are necessary are taken care of, so that, that their conflict that we might have had. Remember, the Philippian church, the reason Paul's saying this is because they're fighting among themselves. He's saying if you've experienced anything good of God, then live this way. Together. Because this is about protecting the message of Christ. So I'll end with this. Um, some, some of you are men. Some of you are women. Some of you are, have different. We all have different ethnicities. Some of you make money. Some of you don't have money. Some of you um, uh, love standing in worship. Some of you love sitting in worship. Some of you um, like Bill some, more. Some of you like me. Hopefully, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we all have our different perspectives, and here's what will kill this community. Number one, your pride and self-focus. If you're coming in saying, what can I get out of this church? You're already off. The church will meet your needs. It's about, it's about um, this church is primarily about Jesus. And so we are all about Jesus. And so if you come in with your self-focus, that's gonna, it's going to cause... It's going to cause um, problems over time. But, but guess what? You don't have to start there. I'm just telling you what kills community. The second thing is your preferences. 
our preferences kill community. And here's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying this. This is just a large gathering. We can't really know each other here. But when you jump into a community group, um, those preferences that you bring in destroy the community. It, it, it just destroys the community. Uh, I have seen it time and time again. People come in. I want the Bible study. No, I want uh, a group of friends that hang out and drink beer and talk about their struggles. Or I want intimacy. We can't accept new people because it's not going to be intimate. Um, and, and we just we bring in all this stuff. And you guys got to meet this need and you have to meet this need. And and rather than just saying, OK, um, Jesus, you're at the center of our, our community. And um, I'm not going to do anything out of selfish ambition. But hey, What's up, guys? Like, what are the needs? If you started with that posture, I think there would be a revolution in this city. There would be a community of churches that would be popping up all over the place. It would transform this place. Um, And so I just want to challenge you to say, one, uh, if you are holding... Well, let me do this. I think there are some of you here that need to forgive people. Some of you are here and you've been hurt by another church or a community. And you're literally bringing that in here. And because of that, your fear of be- us becoming like that is keeping you at a distance. And I think God wants to heal that today. And at least say, hey, that's there. I know it's there. Let's work on it. Some of you are so lonely and isolated that it's been really difficult to, to live. And maybe there's a couple that has been trying to get community and you haven't. And I want to just say, like, I, I think God wants to meet you here today. And you're going to find family here. But my challenge for all of us is raisin bran and honey nut O's. I just want to challenge you to look at your life because some of you have a garage full of stuff. Some of you, um, you throw away boxes of cereal, as cliche as that is. Um, Some of you uh, have been so blessed um, and you've grown up in the church, maybe, and your perspective is, well, I just give 10 percent, you know, set up on Sundays. But I think God wants to call you to more. And I think it looks more like acts and it looks more like getting in a relationship and learning what it means to share with one another. And that's all I wanted to share this morning is that I have a crazy idea. And that's what if we really took the scriptures seriously and tr- all of us tried to live around the word in our own lives. Now, here's the thing. You can't do it on your own. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. But what if we did? What if we did it? What if? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that um, we don't do community for itself, but we, we are here because you are the resurrected Jesus Christ, and we claim you as our Messiah and our King. And our goal isn't to create a a utopia of some sort. Our goal is simply to try our hardest to live out, empowered by your spirit, what it means to be the church with kingdom reality breaking and with your reign breaking in here. So I pray, Jesus, as we venture forward as a church, that we would never settle for a culture of individualism or consumerism, but that we would constantly press forward in becoming the church you're inviting us to be when we set aside our old behaviors, when we set aside our past and broken relationships, when we set aside our fears, and when we, when we put everything at your, at your disposal, we say, God, our house, our cars, our extra stuff, our finances, our relationships, our talents, our skills, it's all yours. Show me where to, they're to be used for your kingdom. That's where it gets dangerous. 
So, Lord, I just pray now for your grace, God, that this wouldn't be seen as a works of righteousness or doing more, but this would be seen as um, a calling into following you more with our lives, God. So, Holy Spirit, would you empower us now as we enter in and respond in your name? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.